Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. This is the first of two episodes for the week. In this episode, we'll cover recent DAO news with our guests. We'll share our takes. And then later in the week, we will go deeper into an interview with our guest, Micah. Speaking of whom, Micah, welcome to the show. It's really good to have you here. Um, would you please give a brief introduction to yourself? And in particular, what makes you an authority on DAOs? Yes, sir. Um, hey, everyone. I am Micah Baylor, also known as Toad Medicine on the old Twitter. And yeah, I am. I'm super stoked to be here. I'm I'm deep on DAOs, have been uh, in the crypto space since about 2018. And during that time, I've just seen <laughs> DAOs of all sorts, man, uh, from everything from just like participating in the ecosystem to founding projects and now being a core contributor at Opolis, which is a, a bit of a cow, but moving towards being a DAO. Um, a and cow? just a contributor. A cow. It's, it's what well, I'm calling like cows are cow? like centralized autonomous <laughs> okay. organizations. There are DAOs cool. that aren't quite DAOs yet, you know, which I, right. I think a lot of DAOs um, are cows indeed. Uh, but yeah, Opolis is is my main main project right now, and then I'm also contributing at a you know number of DAOs. Um, yeah, DAOs of all shapes and sizes, man. Uh, awesome. I think that maybe uh, to call a person like you know an authority on DAOs is kind of a funny thing. We're not sure what what DAOs are entirely yet, but I do dabble quite a lot, and I dabble full time. So. Happy to yeah. get here and, and chat with you all about these things. Yeah, you're not the first person to feel a little bit uncomfortable about that terminology. Um, you know, DAOs are so new. You know, the first DAO ever was five years ago. And then since then, but <laughs> two years ago, there were probably like a hundred DAOs total. Then a year ago, there were thousands. And now I think there are tens of thousands. So um, still, we're all relatively new to the game, but it's really good to have someone on who has experience starting DAOs, contributing to DAOs. And Opolis, cow or DAO as it may currently be, is a major player in the DAO space, not only as a DAO, but in, in that it serves uh, DAOs in a sense as well, or at least serves the DAO ecosystem. Maybe do you want to just speak a little bit about that before we dive into the news? Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in the context of like uh, like DAO tooling, I think is where we get we get put a lot. I'll, I'll tell you what though is we're we're really just a unique player. Um, what we do is we just turn contractors' incomes into W two incomes. So like a lot of people in DAO space, they're earning from multiple DAOs, and we let people who are earning from multiple DAOs or just a single DAO. Uh, take that crypto, send it to a wallet address twice monthly. And then all that we do is off ramp it for them. So we turn it into fiat dollars, deposit it into their bank accounts, and we take out all the applicable, you know, payroll taxes, these types of things, um, as well as act as that DAO contributor's employer of record uh, so that when they need an apartment, they don't say, hey, like verify my income. Over here, they can say, <laughs> talk to the decentralized HR office, you know? <laughs> cool. Which is Opolis. Opolis. That's us. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's awesome. All right. Thanks for the intro. Let's turn to the Just Dow It News Report, where I will summarize all of the stories of the week 
for the audience and for our guest, and then we will share our reactions. And in particular, Micah, let's think about what makes these stories relevant for people starting DAOs. The first story of the week is actually a tweet from Dow House, uh, whose uh, handle is now Dowit. And uh, the tweet is, celebrate Dowsember and the release of Dow House V3 with now Dowit. Dow House. Dow Sember will bring together governors across the Dow space, featuring workshops, hacks, and holiday cheer. Pre-register below. Uh, definitely, everyone recommend checking this out. First of all, it's another great Dow pun. There's always more Dow puns, so Dow Sember is going to be a fun uh, month, and uh, governors is a good one too. But uh, really, I want to call this out because, uh, well, two reasons. One is Dow House just released. Dow House V3, which is really exciting. Um, and two is this Dow Sember uh, month, uh, month event where there are going to be a number of, again, workshops and other events where people can learn more about DAOs, learn more about Dow House, et cetera. You know, Dow House has always been a leader in the Dow tooling space and the Dow space. So definitely recommend people check out the tweet. It will link you to uh, Dow House's uh, Discord where you can engage with the event and the rest of the community. So really exciting. Um, Micah, you want to comment on either Dowsember or anything about Dow House or Dow House V3? Man, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot there. Maybe like Dowsember. I'm definitely encouraging just like a lot of new participation in Dow's uh, like during Dowsember. And primarily, I'm just encouraging people to start writing about something. I think that there's a, a lot of DAOs that just need like more exposure. Um, you know, just just like one article would go a long way for a lot of DAOs. So get out there and write about a DAO you love is my hmm. DAO Simper message. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah, good idea. And for the real governors in the audience, um, DAO House V3, we actually had a guest in the last few weeks, uh, Spencer Graham from Dow House, who talked about what's going to be different with Dow House V3. So definitely recommend people go back an episode or two and check that out if you want to hear more about what's new with V3. Next story of the week is from Cointelegraph, and the headline is, Israel's chief economist lays out recommendations for crypto regulation. The chief economist said the supervisor of financial service providers and the Israel Securities Authority should be granted more powers to oversee the industry. All right. Well, the first headline got me exciting because it got me excited because um, <laughs> I think it's it's good for more countries to get engaged with what's happening in crypto. But then as I heard a little bit more about this supervisor and securities authorities being granted more power, that also scares me a little bit because we want to see we want to see good regulation. We don't want to see over regulation. Right. But um, the other thing I want to hi uh, highlight here is uh, the mention in the article of proposed establishment of an interministerial committee to examine and regulate blockchain-based decentralized autonomous organizations. Um, so uh, again, exciting to see just more recognition for the importance of DAOs, the relevance of DAOs. You know, it was only a few months ago I saw a study that estimated that 5%, I think they did the study in the United States, but if we, we could maybe extrapolate that about 5% of people had ever heard of a DAO a few months ago, which didn't surprise me to hear. Um, and, uh, but the more that we see, you know, national governments coming out and saying, look, this is, 
this is part of the future. We need to regulate it. We need to acknowledge it. Um, I think it's clear that before too long, everyone will have heard of DAOs, just like everyone's heard of crypto. And that's really exciting to me as well. So what do you think about this one, Micah? Yeah, that's that's huge, man. You know, I, I know that it's, it's what my DAO is like largely working on is this uh, legitimizing of the DAO entity. And I think that's huge. You know, on, on my side, uh, a lot of the work being done at Opolis is around, you know, legitimizing the individual. And we, we've got that pretty well figured out for folks, you know, in the U.S. and Canada. But when it comes to the actual like business entity, the DAO, that's, that's the next step that we need is just, you know, working with regulators so that we can get things like LLCs and corporations, you know, fully recognized. So that's that's really great. Um, it, it, it's funny to me, like, like it's like coming from Israel. It's like the original DAO. They have the, the, the 12 houses. Yeah. Right. It's the OG. And I've heard kibbutzes compared to DAOs. The kibbutzes being these uh, organized kind of living groups that were really big in early Israel that were, I think they were communal, communistic, something like that, um, but also kind of uh, Dao-esque. All right, uh, turning <laughs> to the next story of the week is from Coindesk. And the headline is, Ethereum name service selects Karpatki Dao to manage its endowment fund. The new fund manager will manage ENS's treasury and create a sustainable fund to fuel development regardless of overall economic condition. We've talked about Ethereum Name Service or ENS before on the show. It's a really successful uh, project that's governed by a DAO, as many Web3 projects are. The project is all about the .eth uh, domain name, if, if you will, um, that anyone can go and register, you know, like my DAO has my DAO DS.eth. I have uh, the thriller and zero X thriller.eth. And um, because it's been very successful, it's generated a lot of revenue, which goes to the DAO. And so now the ENS DAO has said, well, we should, in this case, hire someone to manage our treasury. Now, I haven't heard of a lot of DAOs doing this so far. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, traditional companies will, I mean, first of all, you probably have a whole financial team that's managing your assets, but you often will outsource some of that management to a professional services firm, or you'll put your, you know, the assets that you have with an actual fund that will manage the money. Um, the other thing that's cool about this is that they hired a DAO to manage the money, not just a firm or a person. And so you have one DAO hiring another DAO um, to manage the funds. And at first, I, I couldn't find a lot of details about this Karpatki. So I don't know a lot about the DAO, the organization, or what exactly makes it a DAO and how it's a DAO. Um, but I did find this quote from the article that, that explained a little bit about how this relationship is going to work. The quote is, the funds will be managed transparently and completely on-chain through a non-custodial solution. The core of Karpatki's non-custodial solution relies on the most battle-tested tooling to manage DAO treasuries, a proxy management safe, and the Zodiac roles modifier. So um, this gets pretty esoteric and technical, but um, what's cool about this is I think, you know, in a let's say we're talking about TradFi and you've got a Web2 company that wants to hire another firm to manage its money. You have two options. Either the firm simply tells you what to do with the money and then you go do it and you keep custody of your own money or you give your money to that other company right, and put it into a fund and then that fund gets managed directly. In this case, we have more of a DeFi or right, a decentralized solution where um, 
it, it through this, it sounds like it's proxy safe. Karpatki can actually manage the allocation of the money without taking custody of it. And so uh, ENS gets to maintain custody of their money while outsourcing the management of that money to someone else who will actually have control over that money through these on-chain mechanisms, the uh, proxy safe, which I assume is a, a, a Gnosis safe. They've renamed it safe, which I think is confusing because safe is also just a general word, but uh, it's a, <laughs> a safe. And then the Zodiac thing, actually, I, I know, uh, um, uh, I think Gnosis has a whole series of plugins um, which are known as, as Zodiac plugins, or at least some of them are. And so it sounds like this plugin is being used to manage who gets to do what with the safe in a pretty nuanced way. So pretty exciting. Um, what do you think, Micah? That's just amazing. I mean, DAO to DAO business, I think, is definitely the future. And like what, what I envision as a future of business, you know, you've got everything happening on chain, you know, identities as wallet addresses, of course, identities of businesses or DAOs, I think, in this case. And, you know, we can see things like contracts being signed between them. We can see revenue share between them. That's quite cool. I'll have to dig into this this Zodiac thing you speak of. That's quite cool. Um, I'm familiar with like the MPC wallet, you know, the multi-party computational wallet, I think is what it's called. Uh, stuff that we see from the likes of Fireblocks, where they're able to do permissioned DeFi so that a, a asset owner can give assets to another person while retaining ownership of those assets and knowing that that person will not steal them. These types of things are huge. I think especially in light of what we just watched with the entire meltdown and FTX and SBF and every other three letter word that exists now. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, you know what, that's such a good point. And uh, it's a solution I've heard a lot of folks talk about for this type of meltdown that keeps happening with these centralized exchanges is what if the exchange were governed by a DAO instead of a cent traditional centralized institution? Now, that's going to be challenging, but that's definitely what people are working towards. And you'll need legal entities, right? Things like what MyDAO offers, because that's the only way a DAO could open a bank account, you know, let alone ha actually have an account where you can take custody of other people's money. But, but here's actually even a more decentralized uh, mechanism, right, where this DAO is actually helping manage money for someone else without even taking custody of the money. Um, so in both of these cases, it's going to be a big step up over the situation where literally this one guy, SBF, can just walk away with 10, 15, 20 billion dollars of other people's money without anyone even noticing. Right. I mean, people say, well, couldn't a DAO be evil, too? Couldn't a DAO walk away with the money? You know, yeah, theoretically, the DAO could transparently propose to walk away with everyone's money and then let everyone vote on it. But I mean, the people whose money it is are going to be the ones voting, you know, because the power is going to be shared broadly. So there's almost no way it'll actually happen. And even if it did, you'd have a fully transparent um, audit trail of everything that happens in, in, in with the money, with the voting, with the, the process of moving the money. So it, it just seems like a, that is going to be a way better scenario than the current centralized system. Yeah, I mean, we, we already we already see it, right? There's already exchanges on chain and you notice that these exchanges did not break. We watched exchange after exchange, meltdown after meltdown and DeFi did not break. 
you know, like that, that is like the most powerful thing. I mean, Uniswap has billions of dollars of liquidity locked in it. It did not break, you know, um, there's even like perpetual tools that are built on chain and they, they did not break. So I, I hope that, um, you know, we, we don't have to go through Mount Gox again, like Mount Gox happened. <laughs> What, what, that, that was yeah. a long time ago. That was like pre-me even. And and yet, <laughs> even with that lesson, we still had to go through FTX. People still had to learn like the not your keys, not your crypto lesson over again. And yeah, let's take everything on chain, man. It's such a good point. I really wonder because... Yeah, Right. Like Mt. Cox was like 2014, I think. Right. That was one of the one of the first exchanges that walked away with everyone's money or lost everyone's money. And it's happened about 10 times, I think, um, since then. It feels right now like we're not going to let it happen again because <laughs> FTX feels so extreme. Right. It's over 10 billion dollars potentially lost and mainstream people were involved. And the guy who ran it was like meeting with politicians in DC and talking about regulations. So this feels like big enough that we won't forget. But I also just wonder, is it really that different from last time? Are we are people just going to forget in six months or 12 months and start trusting, you know, centralized institutions again to hold their crypto? You know, it's just it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to say. I, I don't I don't know the answer. I, I do believe though that DAOs are going to be part of the solution in the next bull run like the 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 big problem is is that normies coming into the ecosystem they don't understand really what it means to be their own custodian we we don't we don't yet have a good Mm. method for onboarding people into the space (laughs) and yeah, I think that so much of what we need to see DAOs solve is just that. You know, it, it, it will not happen again if people remember it, right? It's like history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. But people will only know history if they're taught history. So we have to, you know, yeah. the onus is on us. And I guess there's an element of education, too, around even getting people to understand what it means to hold your own money on your phone, for example, right? Like just over the weekend, I was talking to, like you said, normies, you know, people not in crypto about the difference between an exchange holding your crypto and keeping it on your phone. And even though people are very used to physical cash, right? They understand what that means if you're holding your cash rather than putting in a bank account. It is challenging for people to conceptualize what it would mean to keep digital money on your phone instead of giving it to a bank to hold on to for you. I I think it just takes time. I think that's a kind of like um, paradigm shift, mental model shift that it's not about necessarily explaining it to people the right way, but just them hearing it enough times and trying it out and seeing the money is on your phone and that that's going to keep being on your phone. And I think once people experience that, they, they just get it at some point, right? I mean, once you can walk into a somewhere and spend that money or send it to someone or, you know, just keep seeing it on your phone day after day after day, I think then it'll just click for people. Yeah. I think that though, what you're saying is 100% on the money. It's, 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 I think maybe even like less about hearing it and like what you said about like doing it, you know what I mean? Uh, I think so much of crypto is confusing because it's just not in context. 
you know, like like crypto today is very akin to like the banking system in the 1800s, the wild, wild west, uh, where, you know, the, the custodian that you had mattered. Like back when banks mm. were issuing their own certificates for saying, hey, this is gold we have in the bank. Like you knew how good of a bank and how good of a custodian they were. And you knew that if like the custodians in the area were bad, then you should hold your own gold underneath your mattress. You know, and, and part of what we don't get here, like in the first world where we have access to relatively good, quote unquote, banking systems is like, we just don't understand how bad it could be. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so you got to go and make things contextual. You got to go and mm. use crypto like you probably want understand what it means to be your own custodian until you go and you try and to like log in to Coinbase and the app is just down for maintenance or something. And you're like, oh, I can't access my funds. Yeah, mm. that's because you're not a custodian, you know. Yeah. If you had it on your MetaMask or inside of your ledger, then have yeah. at it. Have at it, champ. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, it reminds me too that I, I think in in places like the U.S., where the TradFi banking system for a long time has not failed, right? It came close, arguably in 2007, but the government bailed it out. Once there's a a true like bank run or a bank goes under in the United States and the government chooses not to bail it out or cannot bail it out and people actually lose a bunch of money. I think that could also be one of the um, catalysts for everyone to start adopting crypto, right? Because if all of a sudden everyone has a cousin or a family member or a kid or a parent who actually lost money in like bank of America, it just disappeared suddenly the idea of holding your own money will just seem kind of obvious. So, I mean, it's almost, it's one of those things that like, I hope it doesn't happen because it'll hurt a lot of people potentially you know, can even hurt myself at the same time. That, that might be the catalyst we need to take crypto to the finish line. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's funny to see like everyone is, uh, you know, out here upset at FTX. At the end of the day, the, the sin that they committed is they had fractional reserves. You know, they didn't have reserves for all of their customers' deposits. And fractional reserves is literally how the U.S. banking system works. Like, they are, <laughs> they all have fractional reserves. Yeah. No bank has enough money to take care of everyone withdrawing all of their money at the same time. Um, you know, to your point, they have things like FDIC insurance to take care of these things. But that comes back to like the same old problem that I think many people are here for is, hey, if, if at the end of the day, Bank of America did fail, what the U.S. government would do is they would print a lot of money and then we would continue with the problems we have around inflation and, you know, the, the continued other problems we have with fiat currencies, right? Um Right, right. There is just a onion of problems, more yep. problems. Yeah, <laughs> yep, <laughs> totally. All right. Next article is from uh, Medium uh, on the Stable Node blog, and the author is Twin Finn. 
The headline is on-chain versus off-chain governance. This is number 17 in a governance series. And so probably a lot of good content here for people to check out. And the article goes into uh, what is on-chain versus off-chain governance, which we'll talk about in a second, and then goes into some examples of DAOs and organizations that do things on-chain versus off-chain, what that often looks like. So first of all, you know, what does this even mean? Well, um, and we've talked about this on the show before, but I think it's been probably a couple months. Um, On-chain governance for a DAO is when... Generally speaking, all of the DAO's activity, especially how it controls its money, because that's such a key capability, is all executed autonomously on chain, which means if that DAO wants to, for example, spend a million dollars on something, then a proposal has to be submitted to a smart contract to spend that money. And then that smart contract will count the votes of the community in whatever way they've determine their governance should work. And if that vote passes, the money gets sent immediately or automatically within a short period of time. And if that proposal doesn't pass, the money does not get sent, right? And there's no way around that governance directly controlling that money. That's that's on-chain governance. And I think to a lot of people, that's like the that's the at least the ideal or idealized version of what a DAO is is meant to be. It's kind of the point of DAOs. But at the same time, there are a lot of DAOs, maybe I would say even the majority of DAOs, especially if we consider a lot of startup DAOs that are not very big yet, they actually do things off-chain. And so a really common way of doing things off-chain is you do your governance in a tool called Snapshot, which actually is cryptographic. It's just not on-chain. So that's another discussion we could have. Um, but the votes get counted in basically like a, a really glorified, high-functionality web forum where you can tell it to do one member, one vote, or one token, one vote, or quadratic voting, or whatever you want. But the vote just gets counted, and then it tells you the result of the vote. You could do the same thing on Discord with emojis. You could do, well, not, not exactly the same thing, but something similar, right? You could do something similar on Facebook if you wanted to, or with a Twitter poll. And then once that vote takes place, then there's a group of people who are expected to implement the result of that vote. And so those could be developers, if we're talking about updating software, those could be multi-sig signers who control a safe, if we're talking about spending money or doing something with money. And so uh, these uh, DAOs, according to this article, I like this terminology they come up with, or at least they refer to, which is a safe snap DAO. And what they mean is it's a DAO that uses a safe to keep its money and a snapshot to do its governance. And so you put together a safe snap, we call it a safe snap DAO. And that is actually super common. There are a lot of DAOs, even huge DAOs with billions of dollars that are safe snap DAOs, where there's a small group of people, one, three, five, seven, nine, something like that, that actually controls the money. And then you have maybe 100,000 people voting to determine what that group of people should do with the money. Um, to me, it's, it's super risky to do that, because especially if you really think of yourselves as a DAO where people are really in control, but then you have this small group of people that can, if, if they choose to, go in a completely different direction. Um, so there's a lot of trust, right? It's, it's, it's very non-trustless. Um, one more point I want to make is um, actually it's a cool use case for a legal entity for a DAO if you're going to be a safe snap, right? If you're going to have a safe and a, an off-chain governance, if you have a legal entity that all of those uh, multi-sig signers are part of, you can at least legally obligate them to do what the community says they should do. 
So you can say whatever, base, effectively, whatever happens in Snapshot, where everyone's voting, the multi-sig signers must follow through, just like a CFO must do with the bank account what a TradFi or Web2 company decides they want to do with their money. If the multi-sig signer does something else, takes the money, spends it in a way that the community did not decide through their governance process, you could sue them and go after them for that money as if they had stolen it and walk, walked away with it. Um, so that's a, it maybe even a, a cool, maybe we could come up with a new term like uh, safe snap LLC or, you know, something. Um, but uh, whatever it is, it's, 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 it's interesting to, people should at least be aware of any DAO you're joining. It, what, is it on chain or off chain and in what ways? And what does that mean for how the organization really works? Yeah, 100%. I feel like a lot of people don't realize uh, how, how many of their DAOs really are cows. I don't know. Cow is just like oh, yeah. this phrase I've been leaning into. It's it, it's it's a it is a entity on the way to becoming a DAO, um, and people don't necessarily always realize that tools like Snapshot, yeah, you do them with your Ethereum wallet, but at the end of the day, like it's not actually triggering on-chain commands, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, these things are centralized. And at the end of the day, I think it just comes back to like what you're talking about, right? It's that we don't yet have all of the widgets and other tools that we need to fully operate. Like what you're talking about where, um, you know, you can have like a, a, a legal requirement that a custodian must act in the, um, you know, will of the people. That's That's some powerful stuff that is a legitimized safe snap DAO. Um, I don't think that legitimized safe snap DAO is going to catch on as a trend, but hopefully it will. Um, yeah. And also in terms <laughs> of tooling, if a DAO wants to be the truly decentralized uh, version where people vote directly, that tooling from a user experience standpoint is not that well developed yet. Um, and actually, yes. I mean, there are a lot of amazing tools. And the next story I'm going to read is a tweet from Origami, um, which is one of the DAO tooling providers. There's probably 20 people going after this problem and building really compelling tools. It's just a difficult problem, just like the rest of you know, the Web3 interface with crypto um, is difficult to make it compelling and easy to use. Um, but uh, you're kind of choosing between a really good user experience with the safe, safe snap approach or a more difficult user experience where everyone actually does do uh, control everything through on-chain governance. So that, that can be a tough, a tough choice um, to make. Now this cow thing, which by, by the way, I'm assuming you're CAO, right? Centralized Autonomous Organization. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not with a W. Yeah. No, no. CAO, cow. But you know, if you, if you wanted to start a company around it, you, the cow could be your logo, right? Or like your theme. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so Cal Swap already has it, you know. Oh, yeah, I would have to I'll go get some kind swap, of like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Cal Cal Swap. That's so so bad. Um, oh man. Yeah, but uh, you know it's interesting. Back in January of this year, so end of last year, beginning of this year, a lot of DAOs were using the terminology that they were on the path to decentralization. And it became mm -hmm. kind of like a meme where, you know, that's what you kind of expected in a DAO. And I, I haven't heard that as much recently, but I still think that is the journey. Most DAOs, I mean, if you include all the startup DAOs, right, the DAOs that are in the early stages, they're not huge yet. They don't have a lot of money yet. They're just getting things going. Very mm -hmm. few of those, I would say, are actually on chain. And partly because a lot of these DAOs are being started by people who are not Web3 native. 
right? They just, they believe yeah. in it and they want to move in that direction, but it'd be really hard for them to go straight to doing everything on chain. And so I think a lot of people are on the path to decentralization. Um, so I think uh, a term like cow could possibly take off. We'll take it. We'll, we'll make it popular here on this podcast. You know, um, I, I think it's like, like if you're actually trying to decentralize, I don't think that that is a thing that ever actually is done. Because like, if you're growing, you're going to constantly be coming into new problems. And as you come into new problems, it requires a centralized focus to solve said problem. Um, and then like once that problem has been solved, maybe you could decentralize around it. Like you could imagine that you're completely decentralized and you're a DAO completely operating on chain. But then you you go and you find my DAO and for the first time you get like a bank account. Well, that creates a new centralization, right? And then you have to figure out how to like decentralize the bank account. And then after you figure that out, you go and you you buy a car. Like the Dow owns a van now to drive around and sell ice cream and hot dogs. I don't know. But that ownership of the car now has to be decentralized. So it, it, it's like this. I think it's like a misnomer that we're ever going to feel like we've arrived at decentralization. I think it's more about setting up, you know, systems in place so that we we, we have a desire to always be decentralizing, um, but it's never done. Yeah, well, and I think it also reminds me of a really important topic that that uh, came up at uh, Decentral a couple of weeks ago in um, in Miami on a panel I was on, which is the word decentralized and the word autonomous both could mean at least two different things each. And but probably more. But one of the ways that decentralized can mean two different things is, are you talking about the uh, governance structure, like the hard power, or are you talking about the social structure, the political structure, the way things actually get done day to day when there's no governance involved? And I think especially when it comes to that social structure, that's that's where it seems like in any mindset that a human being has today in the world we live in, that feels like a never ending journey because it seems so organic and natural. Like I've heard a lot of people say that an idea always starts with one person, right? Like it just mm -hmm. literally physically, maybe until Neuralink is, is more advanced. Um, an idea, <laughs> you know, an idea, a thought, a, a, a word, a sentence always starts from one person. And so it's impossible for 10,000 people to literally start doing a new idea, a new concept, a new project together. It always starts with one person. And so there, it, 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 since that's the case, then you just you go into human nature where people are following other people. You give more respect and power, maybe for good reason, to the person who had the idea, at least for a while. And then you end up with something that looks like hierarchies or circles or something um, of influence where each circle is a little farther from the middle. Um, and uh, so maybe we'll always be on a path to uh, decentralizing that element of DAOs, at least. Yeah. Okay. Next article is a tweet, like I said, from Origami, which is join the Origami is the um, the nickname on Twitter, the username. And this is a five tweet tweet thread. Starts with 
For DAOs, onboarding new members is a constant challenge. Here are five onboarding tactics to make new members feel at home from Ricardo Garcia M of Orange DAO XYZ, which is a DAO related to Y Combinator. And I'm just going to read these five tips real quick, not the entire tweet. So uh, tip one, welcome new members at weekly town hall meetings. Tip two, set up one-on-one conversations. Tip three, create an onboarding subcommittee. Tip four, host IRL events. Tip five, automate. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Mike, in a second, if you have a favorite or if you agree or disagree with this list. My initial reaction is these are great, but they are very uh, social on the social side of things, right? These all require direct human effort and interaction. And I do think for some DAOs, you actually could focus a little more on the automation, on the technology, you know, for example, having something like an onboarding uh, d- documentation, at least, and maybe a, a bot. I've heard of a company working on that helps uh, walk people through onboarding and maybe even going directly to a bounty board where people can bite off a task and work on a task without ever having had a one-on-one with anyone. Um, so uh, these are great suggestions. I, I would just say also can be useful to think about the more um, technical side of, of onboarding. Um, what, what's your reaction, Micah? Uh, I, I feel like when it comes to onboarding, um, it's like if you imagine like a company and they're onboarding people, what they put out is they put out like this calendar of, hey, here's training, here's onboarding, here's when you meet with HR. And I feel like so much of onboarding is mostly just about calendar ritual. Like at the end of the day, everyone could work for the DAO. So you just kind of like act as if every person you engage is a employee of the company already and everyone just kind of has access to everything um so these ideas around like an onboarding committee i i'm a big fan of that these things are around like hey host you know you know meetings and onboarding uh town halls i think is what they would call i would say yes I would say, though, that you even like on that social layer, you need to have like a 90 day onboarding program, you know, like like a a, a ritual you have of, hey, this is how we onboard people at this company. And it's just constantly going just like HR would have invited you to all of the onboarding, you know, events, a, a DAO ought to just be hosting those um, I think that most of the success around onboarding definitely lays in the social layer. At the end of the day, there's a lot of people um, who have even been here for a while who are DAO contributors who who don't yet necessarily understand the technology. I mean, I know people who contribute to DAOs who don't own their ENS yet. Like ENS is a, a, a really basic, like that's one of the first things you get when you're starting to understand crypto. But to give you an idea of like, you don't have to understand the technology to be in on, on a DAO. You just have to be good at one task that the DAO needs, you know? Um, so like so much of onboarding success and so much of getting, I think, you know, frequent contribution inside of the DAO is really about that social layer. And I think it just comes back to, you know, good systems, good habits, what I would call calendar ritual, and just being really open about displaying like, hey, this is when all of our support is, you ought to just come when there is support. 
instead of saying like, oh, if you need something, reach out because no one will ever reach out, mm, you know, mm -hmm. but just making all of those things um, like a part of the culture, if you will. Yep. Awesome. All right. The last article of the week is from Decrypt, which is decrypt.co. And the headline is, many DAOs and Web3 projects are decentralization theater, according to Tezos co-founder Kathleen Brightman, who says a focus on decentralization is critical to achieving longevity in Web3. And we've touched on that a bit in terms of recent events with FTX. I'll just read one more sentence from the article. Brightman asserted that many projects in Web3 are engaged in decentralization theater, representing themselves as entities that embody ideals central to crypto, yet prioritizing mass participation over growing communities or, or in an organic way. So that's interesting. You know, and she's not just talking about DAO. She's talking about Web3 projects in general. Um, and uh, I, think, uh, I think there's a difference between whether your decentralization is real or not and whether you're prioritizing mass participation. In some ways, prioritizing mass participation might actually be supportive of decentralization if, if you're doing it the right way. But certainly, I do agree that there's a lot of theater of various kinds in Web3, which uh, you just call it Web3 theater maybe, where organizations are leveraging the trends in crypto, the money-making opportunities to either do something fraudulent, accidentally fraudulent, or um, even just short term to make a buck and then not actually, you know, having crypto values um, like about decentralization. So uh, I think it's a good point. Um, any reaction to this one, Micah? Yeah, I 100% agree. A lot of it is is theater, you know, um, I, I don't want to say like project names. That sounds rude. I also haven't looked into like the decentralization of of some of these projects in a while. But like if you go back and you look at just say like, I don't know, um, like Ethereum versus like Solana. You know, there's always going to be some kind of trade-off for throughput, for decentralization, um, for for all these types of things. And like, if you if you dig down into it, you might have someone like Solana saying that they are super decentralized or that they're moving towards that. But the large majority of the validators they have are are not decentralized, right? Yeah. Um, so like what you said, it's theater, it's all good marketing. Um, at the end of the day, you got to do your own research in the environment that you're in and just know yeah, what you're dealing with. But for yep. sure, most things are not, they're, they're not large enough to be decentralized. Maybe only Bitcoin and Ethereum are a big enough deal to have achieved decentralization. So that means the rest of it is faking it till you make it yep. or till they make it till we make it. <laughs> Fake it till they make it. That sounds good. All right. Um, that's it for the Just Dowit News Report for this week. Thank you, Micah, for being a part of that. As a reminder, please join us again later in the week for a more in-depth interview with Micah. For now, where can people find you and your projects on the web and on social? Best place is on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Medicine Toad. Um, yeah, everything is there. Everything is there. All of the DAOs I'm contributing to uh, my personal NFT projects, if you're really like me, um, as well as, you know, my my main focus and passion of spreading the word of Opolis. Um, out talking a lot about that. If you are a professional, uh, you might find me easier on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, I'm just Micah Baylor. 
uh, pretty straightforward. I have an Opolis banner there, so be easy to find me. I do a lot of uh, Twitter spaces and LinkedIn live events. I'm um, really about, uh, like I was speaking about earlier, that calendar ritual of just like having an open door and just lots mm. of conversations always going on. Um, I practice that on both of those platforms. So cool. do come by and say hello. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller. MyDAO is at MyDAODS or M-I-D-A-O-D-S on Twitter and MyDAO.org. And are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just DAO it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just DAO it does not contain any legal or financial advice. My DAO also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.